You're listening to the Irish Times. Mary. How are you? You're a little different, Malachy. No, the lunatics have taken over the asylum. This is the Out of Time podcast. Mal and Pat are away, so uh, Gavin Komsky and Mary Hannigan are running the show. This is my first ever promotion, I You're think, kind of in the Irish Times. You're kind of an impact sub here, aren't you? Yeah. Are you kind of Joey Carberry to Mal's Johnny Sexton? Would it be a little? It means that I've way? got more natural talent, and I'm going to be the. I'm going to be running this podcast for the next ten years. <laughs> If that's the case, yeah. We've got a good little show today. We have um, John O'Sullivan's in to run the rule over Murrayfield. Actually, not to run the rule over Murrayfield. He's going to move us swiftly on towards Rome. Emmett Malone has a great piece in the paper today. Some kind of a children of men type journey through uh, the English countryside. Emma train thing again. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, we'll get to it. And there was a brilliant game of football down in uh, Tralee on the weekend in Dublin and uh, Kerry uh, cross swords. But first, Murrayfield, John O'Sullivan's with us. How's it going, John? Good, very good. What was your what was your read on it? Uh, I think it was a game for the supporters of Scotland and Ireland. Really, more than that, uh, you would say it was a match with lots of errors, lots of mistakes. Doesn't really matter uh, if you're an Irish supporter, Irish management, Irish player, because you won the match. But for the Scots, they'll be haunted by that for at least ten days. I know you were uh, nonplussed by the actual. The, the game itself but on, if you watch BBC afterwards uh, Paul O'Connell and Martin Johnson are sitting beside each other and it really got me thinking going imagine they uh, imagine the two of them actually the, they cross swords and ended up going on that 2005 Lions tour together you can clearly see their kindred spirits and they loved the second half because they're two old second rows who love killing games and just keeping it up in keeping it up in the rolling mall and all that but that's what it became essentially wasn't it? Yeah, I think there were lots and lots of errors in it. Uh, I think it was it was a difficult watch in the second half. Like I said, the outcome determines how you feel after about a match afterwards, uh, uh, certainly in that context and that case. So I think Ireland will be happy that they got the results. Um, it was a reaction, a positive reaction to the performance against England. But they're still, still lacking a bit of playing rhythm and that's quite evident and lacking a bit of shape and attack. And that's going to be an issue going forward that they'll need to address over the next couple of weeks before Italy. I don't think anyone's going to panic but the playing rhythm of this Ireland team comes through Conor Murray doesn't it? And Conor Murray has be, was out for essentially six months with uh, a mysterious enough neck injury he's been back he looked okay for the first 20 minutes he came back from Munster but his form and it, it, we kind of took us a while for our eyes to adjust to it. It hasn't been the Conor Murray we've grown accustomed to. His kicking, there was a couple of good, a lot of excuses for why his kicking was poor against England. But his kicking, which is the box kick, which is the, the height on the ball and the time in the air. And it's so much of Ireland and Schmidt's game plan is based on that, that, style of whip, that type of play. And it's not working at the moment, is it? No, what do I you think. think? I think is, is this a real problem is what I'm asking? I think it's he'll, he'll be disappointed by his own performances and he won't need to be told by anybody else that that he hasn't hit uh, the levels that he's hit previously and Conor Murray's entitled to play the odd bad game here and there that's fine but what would be concerning going forward is that if you look at at both games and the way Ireland were struggling and one match in which they they were trying to rescue a bonus point and end up conceding one uh, John Cooney comes on after 77 minutes at the weekend where they were uh, I wouldn't say they were out of sight but he comes on again after 77 minutes Same as the last week as well Yeah, so they're not using him basically No and you're not finding out anything about John Cooney in a test match scenario which is uh, given the fact that Joe Schmidt said that he was looking to to kind of broaden the, the kind of if you like the depth with putting Robbie Henshaw at full back and looking at various aspects so that you can take it to the World Cup that is something that kind of stands out a little bit that, that you don't entrust John Cooney to play kind of 10 minutes in both matches at least and, mm. and get, give him 
both the flavour of playing Test rugby in the Six Nations at that level and and finding out what he can and can't do and whether he can speed up a game and whether Ireland can go to a different type of game when, when he comes on at Scrum Half. After the match, um, I asked Joe Schmidt to uh, appraise the performances of Sean O'Brien and Conor Murray and he spoke for two minutes about Chris Farrell and Olsen Delan and then doubled down as politely as I could and went, I had to pick one, I went, just will, will you answer the question about Sean O'Brien, how do you think he played? And he said he grew into the game, which actually on, on replay, I, I watched Sean O'Brien for the entire 80 minutes and he did. He And by about 50 minutes, he was looking a little bit like his old self. But he didn't touch, it when Joe just ignored the question about, direct question about Conor Murray. He did touch on the fact that his kicking, the kicking game is off. So he, he is aware that it's a problem. And then he blamed it on, which is, could be a problem on the fact that Johnny Sexton had been stamped on his ankle had stamped on his head supposedly turns out accidentally had gotten hit late twice so there was a bit more of an emphasis on Conor Murray to run the show is that a valid excuse? Well I think Conor Murray took responsibilities which is what you want from your senior players so when your senior experienced at half goes off Conor Murray elected to kick a little bit more and he took responsibility for the kicking the problem is that if the end product isn't what you want then you've got to trust when Joey Carberry comes on for him to manage the game. It's not a kindergarten, so you do need players to kind of step up when you get to that level. Mm. And Connor did what he thought was the right thing, and then it would have been the right thing if the end product had been good. But he's just slightly off. It'll take him a while to get back into, like I, I use the expression playing rhythm, which is a bit of a cliche, but it's Ireland are struggling. They're, they're not, they're out of kilter with the way they're playing the game and have played the game, and they've played the game quite brilliantly over the last 18 months and, and their records. Have teams started to figure itself. them out better? I think team, yeah, teams figure them out all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know, they understand what's coming. But when, as you pointed out earlier on, when Conor Murray puts the, lands the ball on a sixpence and it's contestable and Ireland have two good wings who get in the air and you get the ball back. I mean, if you look at the number of times when Ireland were in their pomp, if you like, and winning matches, the number of times that they win the aerial duels and they're not winning the aerial duels anymore. And then there's an issue about the shape of their attack. I mean, there was, like, there was times when there looked like six guys standing outside a mass wondering who was going in the door first. Uh, you know, and there was an element of that. So there was no shape to it. And there was very little animation for guys who were running kind of dummy lines. And there was asp- there's just that was a major problem against England. Yeah, there's just aspects of it that is just slightly out of kilter. So it, it, it is, is it a concern? Not massively. Is it a concern if Ireland don't win the Six Nations? Not hugely. Uh, as long as they get to Japan with a squad, hopefully a healthy squad, and that they are able to uh, They're not going to get to Japan with a healthy squad. You did nope. touch on a positive, by the way, and Joey Carberry came on and there was a fear he was going to stink the joint out when he threw that pass for Finn Russell and a lovely offload and Finn Russell and Scotland were back in the game all of a sudden and we were like, oh no, this could be, Joey Carberry could go backwards here, but he didn't. He turned out, he threw a pass that makes me want to see him at fullback in the last 20 minutes of a game for Keith Earls to stride, didn't he? But what was it, break down what you saw from Joey Carberry? I thought that he showed great mental strength. I think if you trace his... If you look at where Joey Carberry's come from in a very short space of time, he was stuck behind Ross Byrne in UCD. He decided that he couldn't. He wanted to play out half. So the simple thing in the world is for him to stay in UCD and to stay behind Ross Byrne and get limited game time. But he decided no, so he went to Clontarf. He played for Clontarf, was brilliant all season for Clontarf when they won the title. Ended up playing against Ross, actually, in the semi-final out in Castle Avenue. So he has he has made decisions throughout his career. He made a decision to go from Leinster to Munster because he wanted to play out half. So you, you can't but admire what he's done so far. He's had the courage of his convictions, and he showed great mental strength, along with the qualities that he has as well. Uh, in Murrayfield because the easiest thing in the world is to be spooked by what he did uh, to throw that intercept and you know you can see there's a great end on camera shot of the desperation in his face 
to try and get back. Yeah. And Earls comes ac- uh, Keith Earls comes across, makes a brilliant tackle, and Finn Russell, very clever, just times the offload to the sporting player extremely well. So it was very good. I- but Carberry went on, and, and, and he, Joey Carberry continued to play, and that's the one thing you want uh, from young players who are coming through, is that you don't get knocked back by this, that you continue to play at a level. You continue to play the game, you continue to try things, and you leave, even, no matter how difficult it is, you leave what you've just done in the moment behind you as opposed to letting it prey on your mind for the rest of the game. Are we going to see, I, I, I'm i guessing we're going to see a lot of change in Rome and one of the things why I touched on Joey Carberry was Rob Carney came back and we, a lot of people have to go, okay, the Robbie Henshaw thing is only if Rob Carney gets injured simply because of his kind of, there was a, ma- it looked like if you're, I don't know if you noticed it on TV but there was a, he really did put on a masterclass in the backfield but there was one moment when he came onto a ball and all he had to do was catch and pass. And Jacob Stockdale had scored a try in his head and he caught and stepped inside. And his running was good and strong and powerful. Rob Carney had a good game playing the way Rob Carney has done for the last 10 years. And he proved he's the man at fullback. But Joey Carberry, when you put him in the exact same situation, throws this left-handed pass for Earls that not many Irish people can, play, can throw. Like it, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting Rob Carney gets dropped, but I am suggesting that Joey Carberry, as an attacking option when Sexton is fit and healthy in the last 20 minutes of a big game, could be could be the way to go. How do you think it's going to happen? In how do you think Ireland are going to play it in Rome? Who do you think is going to be playing where and what? Well, I don't. To be honest, uh, Wales made ten changes for the Italian match. So what Warren Gatlin sent out a statement saying, "I'm looking at at everybody that I can during the Six Nations." It was, uh, in some respects, uh, was he doing a disservice to to Italy? No, he wasn't. He was just looking at Wales and saying, well, I want to get something out of this match. Now, what can I get out of this match? I want to win it because uh, they won their opening match, obviously, in France, and he wants that momentum and heading towards the Six Nations title and Grand Slam and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, he's looking to see what depth he has in his squad, and he has to trust them. And he has to... I think there's an element of that for Ireland going forward. If there are a number of areas where Joe Schmidt wants to look at what and do you want really... To see? What, what position, what team, what, what players do you want to see starting the game? Uh, I should have really thought about this before I came in. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think that... For example, Sexton might be injured, OK? He might have that, yeah. that concussion or that ankle stamp or whatever, he might have a problem there. So Carberry, 10. I think it might have been the plan all along to run him in this game. Well, it's funny. I think Johnny Sexton, if you look at the number of matches he's played against Italy, he actually hasn't played as many as you might think. I think Ian Keatley played against Italy at one stage. That was Paddy 2015 Jackson. when Madigan got dropped Yeah, I came back to haunt Ireland in the end Eddie Jackson played against Italy you know in a match and stuff like that so you're, you're well, looking or Jackson won't be playing but nope. uh, what nope. about what about Carberry or is there any other kind of things what about Chris Farrell at 12 maybe will Ringrose come back in uh, I think the injuries will dictate some of it uh, I think that when you're when Ireland are scratching around a little bit for form in terms of the way they're playing that it's a difficult balancing act to get because you want to get them, you want to get the game back in kilter. So you want to get the players who might be struggling for a little bit of form, you want them to keep playing and you want to play through this in some respects. So I think that's on one side of the coin. And then the other is looking at, well, you've got to go to Japan in six months' time and you've got to find out about some players because you've got to narrow it down. Like the, the World Cup warm-up matches are useful to a point maybe the first two might be or maybe even the first three might be but it probably Nobody's the first two. to get injured though are they? Well you've got those issues and you can't play rugby you can't play rugby and try not to get injured so you've got to look at Joe Schmidt has to have a plan for the rest of, of the Six Nations Italy gives him a little bit of flexibility where it falls in the tournament as well gives him a little bit of flexibility because you know the likes of say Tyg Byrne is due back 
He's Ian uh, Henderson's going to play rugby, I think, this weekend for Ulster. And if he does that as well, so you, you're looking at that balance between trying to find a playing rhythm and then trying to introduce players and and, and get the team back on kilter, if you like, and playing playing out through the end of the Six Nations. Joe Schmidt made the point beforehand that Ireland get better and better as the Six Nations go goes on, and that's borne out by results and history and all that sort of stuff. So he will want to establish some momentum coming out of the Six Nations Championship. The last thing you want is just this kind of stop-start, win-lose, win, you know, win-lose, or whatever it is, or even if you win. So you want that momentum coming out of the Six Nations. I think that's key for him. So I think there will be changes uh, up front. I think they will try and bring. If Ian Henderson's fit, if Tyg Burns fit, that gives you options. Devin Toner's injury obviously puts him out until the, probably the end of the Championship and beyond. Uh, Rue did okay though, didn't he? He did, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there were aspects of Ireland's performance that were solid, and when they shut down the game in the second half a lot and carried, there was good discipline and good accuracy. But... You need a little bit more. Where Ireland are in, the, in, in terms of the world rankings, where Ireland are as a team, you just expect a little bit more. I do want to ask you about um, Media Olympics front page today. You had uh, the French in Twickenham, the disgraceful French who were, looked so badly coached at the moment and it was called Waterloo was the headline. I think that was a bit of a compliment because Waterloo, at least they had Napoleon who was like a good general. They, they just seem rudderless to keep <laughs> the comparison. So. I thought it was after the Abba hit. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it really though, it, it's, it's a serious problem then. Like they, they just, there was no one in the backfield. England, who are on a real roll now and do look like such a serious team, but Francis looked so lost. They made 10 changes and, and went backwards. Will, my only fear is that Laporte gets rid of Brunel, sacks the coach, and then come the fourth round, France shoot from the hip and suddenly get their act together. Because talent in the squad in this French team is remarkable. It's like quality of player is there, it's evident. But what, do you, what did you see in Twickenham? I think yeah, the talent of the country is evident. I, I wouldn't necessarily equate it to the current squad. I think they have to make changes. The points you made were valid. I mean, you would worry from a French perspective about the communication and the leadership on the pitch. Uh, that France seems to just disintegrate, basically. If things don't go well for them, or when things start to go badly for them... He's jogging back into position, a huge A, and it was just... There's no... There's no there, uh, obviously not being at the match, but you would suspect that there isn't a huge amount of communication. So when you fill the line with 14 players and nobody's at home, uh, and you've left the front door open, and England just spot it and just chip over the top, and it's the softest of soft tries. And then you see coming into camera shot two French players who are... Somewhere else, somewhere where they're other than where they should have been. Is, so I, I know that like Ronald Gar and all that are talking about how like, their culture is broken and that France rugby, Marcusi is not the place that people want to be anymore, and they hate it and they feel like it's they call it uh, Mark compared to Alcatraz or whatever. But so there's a problem with the players. But is it really bad coaching? Because we've seen before over the years a strong player group take over from the coaches and get to the 2011 World be, Cup France final. Be, do they have the strong personalities? And do they have the? Is the coaching broken as well? Is another thing I'm asking. I I think that the knee jerk reaction after each match makes you wonder if there's an overall plan for things. I think when the French, as they have done throughout the, the history of the World Cups, come together as a playing group. Then they sort things out. They get to finals, semi-finals, all that sort of stuff. But that it's was leaders of Mendo as well. That was predicated on having Thierry Dusitoire, for example, yeah. as somebody and a senior cabal of players. One of whom, uh, Julien Bonaire, was sitting up as the forwards coach. So you look at it and say, well, where are the leaders in the team? And that's the worry for France. The worry for everybody else is if France get it right, they do have the players. Like when you think of the players that were missing from the backline yesterday, 
and the players that they can bring in. They have a stellar potential. They can get it right stellar. this year. They can get it right by 2023, maybe. I think they can get they it right this year. Joe Schmidt. The, I think they can get it right this year. I think they can get it right for the World Cup. The key is that uh, if the playing group come together and there's a realisation that you can't have a knee-jerk reaction every time you lose a match or don't win and you bring in six players, you play two centres on the wings. You know, I mean, you couldn't make up some of the stuff that they've been doing. So I think they've been getting in their own way. If France get out of their own way at some stage during the Six Nations, get a little bit of momentum, get that esprit de corps, to use one of their own phrases, uh, during the summer. Jim Gavin, Gavin phrase, actually. Exactly. Well, there you go. Uh, and if they get that uh, up and if they get that during the summer, then they can be a factor at the World Cup. In terms of the Six Nations, you're never quite sure because even before the match, and if you looked at, at the punditry, the pundits were were still giving them a 5% chance that they could actually turn up and play in Twickenham and that disappeared when you you know Ron Nogara turned around and he was he was he was he was wrong but he wasn't wrong when he said they could ship 50 points in the second half and they didn't I presume we lose Ron Nogara to to our commentary now for the next few weeks cuz he's go coached and he's go back to New Zealand and Day coach job. yeah <laughs> Day job time yeah but so two rounds in a little bit of a break coming up now John What's, what's most impressed you and what's most concerned you from an Irish and non-Irish perspective? Winning in Merrifield, it's always a tricky place to go. Winning that match was important for the group. Uh, I think that uh, they need to discover, just get back, get everything back in kilter from a playing perspective. And that will come with players, just a couple of players finding a little bit of form, a little bit of direction, a little bit like, you know, people were talking about Ireland being very prescribed so it's kind of unusual to talk about Ireland not having that shape they did they got a great Stockdale's try was a great strike move a little bit more of that a little bit more rhythm to the game a little bit just yeah improve their playing performances through the rest of the championship and I think people will be happy to watch that OK, next we've uh, football correspondent Emmett Malone on the line from Manchester about to board a train back to London. Uh, yesterday, he 30 years after the first time he saw Man City play Chelsea, he returns to see Chelsea take a 6-0 beating. Um, and what's changed? Yeah, it's an odd one. I've, like, I've seen a good few Premier League games in the meantime, but somehow this one, uh, this one eluded me. And I hadn't actually uh, been to uh, the Etihad until now. Uh, again, it was a, a big box I wanted to tick. But... Um, yeah, I came here in 1989. I was working in London at the time on the railways, had cheap travel. I used to go to the odd uh, game outside the capital to try and see a city I hadn't seen before. And at the time, I'd never been to Manchester and came up here for what was at the time a, a top of the uh, old second division clash between uh, Chelsea and City. I think City went into the game leading the division. Chelsea kind of uh, were looking to um, uh, uh, you know springboard over them and take 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 kind of pole position in the in the promotion chase. Both of them ended up going up that year, but um, but I think the real the, the real point was that it was just a different world in terms of going to see football. Um, I worked on the underground, as I say, and uh, I remember. Uh, what was your profession, uh, by the way, Emmett? Yeah, well, I was a station foreman, so uh, so I, I, I did it all. Uh, I, I tracked the tickets, I, I motored around the place. I mean, I remember somebody essentially telling us that our, uh, our job was, you know, generally not to do very much, but uh, but that when uh, when the shit really hit the fan and something went badly wrong, not to be drunk or uh, or otherwise incapacitated, uh, to be able to uh, to be able to deal with whatever problem arose, you know. Um, they were uh, they were <laughs> they were fairly wacky days, uh, I can tell you, but. Um, 
but you know, um, the train uh, journey the itself, time, yeah. though, the train journey itself, you're getting a bit of a reputation yeah, yeah. now for writing uh, story. Your best, yes. your best work is about <laughs> being on trains, yeah, like a Johnny Cash <laughs> song or right? something, yeah. Oh God, following yeah, Russia yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah well, this was, uh, was we're gonna we're gonna tweet out Emmett's train I think, uh, yeah, train I, chronicles. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, the Russian one sort of kind of uh, rekindled my spirit and uh, my belief in humankind. <laughs> the uh, the trip with the Chelsea fans up to Manchester didn't quite serve that purpose. Yeah, I um, yeah. I mean, look, you, you you know, you arrive. I remember arriving in Houston that morning and um, and kind of you know initially looking at the uh, board for the for which which platform to go to for the football special to Manchester, and then very quickly realizing that I didn't need a big board to tell me which one it was. You know, uh, nine o'clock in the morning and uh, and there's kind of five hundred Chelsea fans ready to go and already in. Uh, in, in, in high spirits and as the, trip, you know, the train was terribly overpacked I spent two and a half hours something like that crouched uh, in a corner in between carriages as Chelsea fans uh, leaned out windows shouting abuse at you know random northerners as they saw them you know about how poor they were and uh, the like when we arrived into Manchester then it, it wouldn't happen now but it was a second division game and the same day, there was a quarter-final between Manchester United and uh, Forest, and um, that was the game. Forest won one nil, and they went on to play um, Liverpool in, in, in the semi-final at uh, Hillsborough, where, where the people were killed, and six people were killed. So, it, it, you know, there were four sets of fans milling around the city. Manchester was, I mean, it, it, the city is, is, has been transformed. Certainly the, the, the central parts of the city centre have been uh, transformed in the meantime. But um, it was a pretty rough and ready place at the time. And uh, there were four sets of fans milling around the place. And the thing just resembled nothing so much as some sort of early Schwarzenegger film, you know, like some kind of quest to stay alive as, uh, as four sets of fans <laughs> rambled around. I had no colours on. I wasn't, you know, particularly uh, hung up on, on, on getting, I like, certainly didn't want to get involved in any of this. But, Every street you walk down, there, were, there seemed to be, you know, one set of fans chasing another and um, and one set would chase one around the corner and then they'd all come back being chased by a larger group of local fans or something. And um, and in the end, I tried to kind of bail out of the city centre, queued for a taxi, waited quite some time. Uh, then just when the, my, my black cab uh, uh, arrived, the door swung open and a guy from a small group of people behind me went to, uh, went to jump in. And he's pulled back by his mates who... Uh, who pointed to me, and they were young fellows, you know, maybe in their 20s, um, uh, United fans. Uh, actually, I didn't realize the United fans bit until afterwards. But, uh, but anyway, I, I kind of thanked them for, for, you know, letting me have the taxi and, uh, and then kind of cheerily suggested that they join me if they wanted to, that I was heading to Main Road. And there was a kind of moment silence, which, um, <laughs> which I really, really should have cottoned on to the significance of. But, but then this guy said to me, kind of slightly, in, slightly surprised at first, Main Road? And then it got louder and angrier. <laughs> Main road! <laughs> and, uh, and the taxi driver coughed on before I did. And the taxi started moving. The door still swinging open. I'm kind of hanging on. And these four guys are running down the road after the taxi, kicking and shouting, Main fucking road! <laughs> so that wouldn't even be allowed now, Emmett. Would it, like, two, uh, two teams so. playing at home? I guess the fact that it was in a lower division, you know. Right, but, um, right. But, you know, and perhaps maybe it would squeeze through now. Uh, but they were two very big games uh, because of the, the situation. And it was mid-March and um, the promotion race kind of coming to a head. Both, both teams went up in the end, I think. So, but they were both very big games. And uh, as I say, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fans from outside the city, um, a lot of fans milling around. And, 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 I mean, even at the time, as I say, I worked, I worked in, in London and we would have the transport police come into us. And, and you could see the detail in which they went to, went to this. I mean, I remember some guy doing a presentation to us and um, <clears throat> it was a map of the underground. 
And they were pointing out that I think the example was Newcastle fans, that they would come in and I think it was Houston, they would come into and then they would get on the underground from there, from the mainline trains and, 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 you know, go by whatever route. And he would say, like, okay, these Newcastle fans, they don't know the underground very well. And they will kind of, they'll, they'll pick one of these three routes for the most part to get to Stamford Bridge, say. And the Chelsea fans at the time, and this was all kind of completely reasoned out by the cops, they will, they will obviously, obviously try to ambush them in uh, the main exchange point. So, like, if one of them is going to, I, I, you know, I, I can't remember what the, what the route would be offhand, but let's say one of them is going to change in, um, in Oxford Circus or something like that, if that's a natural changing point, then there'll be a load of Chelsea fans waiting for Newcastle fans there. But the, the clever ones, the, the smarter yeah, Chelsea fans, will wait in the station after the station where the Newcastle fans are supposed to change because they'll know there'll be cops in the main exchange and they'll wait for those few stragglers who aren't paying attention and stay on the train a station too long and then get them when they're going to you know, turn around and go back to the station they should have changed that. So 30 years, <laughs> 30 years later, Emmett, though, there's no, not even a hint of violence, I imagine, when you're rolling up the road. That's, that's the thing. Well, you know what, Gavin, the thing about it is, I've been writing this three, three, four weeks ago, you could have said that with a great deal more confidence, that the whole that, that side of things has, has been really eradicated. Obviously, there's still fights, as we've seen, you know, organized fights between people away from the grounds that, you know, want to want to have fights and, and really exposes the fact that so little of this has to do with football. But we also saw the, the recent game there between um, Millwall and Everton where there was fairly horrendous violence outside the grounds. And, uh, and you see that there is still this undercurrent of it. But at the games like at the, at the top end, at the Chelsea's, at the City, I think the last time I was in Stamford Bridge, I had some, I had some foreign tourists beside me basically asking me to exchange, explain the rules of the game to them while it was going on. And, uh, and yesterday, I, you know, I, had, uh, I, had, I think there were Koreans to one side of me, Chinese to the other, and some Germans behind me. And, um, and it's, it's wonderful in loads of ways. I'm an Irish guy. I was there on a busman's, you know. Um, uh, it's wonderful in one way, this globalization of the game, the kind of uh, the, uh, the interest that attracts the diversity of, of the audience. It also means, I mean, I'm sure, you know, the locals, I was spent the, the day in Liverpool yesterday, and one of the issues there, certainly a biting issue for local fans, is the price of tickets, because a club like Liverpool know that they can sell tickets all across Europe and beyond, and, uh, and, and really can charge a very high price for that. And that, in many cases, is pricing local fans out of the game, and, and certainly the ones who try to travel to away games have a real struggle there, even with the £30 cap. But the other thing is, it has to be said, it does make the uh, the atmosphere in the games very benign. You know, there is no there was no threat of the Korean guys beside me getting so upset about you know uh, you know somebody celebrating a goal for the wrong team that they were going to deck them. As, uh, it's kind of a bit sanitised now. Right? Back in the day. Well, look, it's it's the best piece in the sports section, and I, we want to guide everyone oh, towards it. Um, Emmett Malone on trains. Thanks a million, Emmett. Keep going. You're listening to the Irish Times. Okay, Ian O'Reardon is back from his weekend at his ancestral home. Uh, Austin Stacks Park in the weekend, Ian. Kerry beat Dublin by a point, but there's a, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Where will we start? The scrap at the end, the brilliance of the game, Jim Gavin's annoyance with media. Yeah, uh, I suppose I should probably qualify everything I say here, as you mentioned at the, at the start there. I, I have perfect mixed blood, Kerry Dublin blood, so I kind of I come with this game with, a, with a, not an entirely unbiased opinion, but I think when, you, when any time Dublin Kerry play a, a Gaelic football game like this... You're like a brogan. <laughs> there's, yeah, and 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 O'Sullivan, but there's like there is there's some it's there's something about the game that people take an extra invested interest in. I think the crowd do, the, the general public do, and I think that trickles down to the players as well. It has.
has to, you know. Everyone knows it's the it's the El Clasico of Gaelic football. And it, brilliant atmosphere in Chile. He was better than Murrayfield. It really anyway. came over, didn't it? Yeah. Packed out. Yeah, so what was it like being there? I mean, I got down, I, I like to give myself plenty of time. So I got down there about five o'clock. So the game kicked off at seven. Sorry, three win at seven. And, uh, so you only came back this morning. <laughs> but there was there was already uh, there was already a buzz around around Austin Sack Park. And um, again, I think I think that goes back to the, it's Dublin Kerry, but it's a strange one because just just saying as there before before like I mean Dublin Kerry like as great as this rivalry is they probably, they may not meet again they will not meet again until the All Ireland final in 2019 which is what six or seven months away right. so it's 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 almost it's almost kind of a you almost have to kind of suppress that excitement a little bit and it's it's a bit like the rugby thing I mean, the rugby situation you seem to be living in this perpetual looking forward to the World Cup and everything is about Japan. I don't know how many times Japan was mentioned in the aftermath of the, the Six Nations. And it's a bit like that, Kerry and Dublin. It's like, well, it's all about the championship and, well, we'll see how to, when they meet in six or seven months' We're time. We're not going to see them until the All-Ireland final, if they even, if either of them... I'm pretty sure about that, yeah. I mean, there may be some way, maybe if Kerry fall through the back, if one of them end up in the qualifiers, they may that's meet. That's not going to happen. You know, but I don't think that's going to happen, mm-hmm. um, especially if you look at the way Cork are going in Munster. Um, but look, I mean, to go back to your question about the game, yeah, it was it, it totally restores your fate in, in Gaelic football. Um, Rumours of its demise, kind yeah, of, there was yeah. a bit of that about it. It's, it's a throwback almost, isn't it? Extinction, like, yeah. And, so the hype's going to build in Kerry now, is it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, just thinking there, you know yourself, Gav, when you're working on, a, on, a, on an online match report and you kind of have that three or four minute window to sort of do your teams and scores and 700 words and then think of a catchy intro and the best thing I could come up with was just wow because it was just it had that wow factor when the game when the game finished and uh, and it was in that moment when I was kind of try, trying to write the headline that you looked up and then there was a there was a bit of after as like there was a bit of kind of the pushing and the, the shoving and players uh, a few punches I don't know well there was certainly a few slaps I think that's the word that, that Jim Gavin used and in fairness to Jim Gavin he said well I didn't I didn't see it and if you, he ignored it if you look at pictures of him he just walked right by us <laughs> Um, and um, no attention to what was going on. Yeah, so when you calmed down and, and when you got your online report out the gate, uh, you referred to Charles Darwin then in your print version. Like it, it was, um, it was. Tell us what you saw. Well, I think it was a case of you know that was, was kind of playing on the extinction thing a bit. You know, the fact that you know football was dying out or whatever. But the, you know, this was kind of a, a rebirth, and it, you know, and it comes down to survival of the fittest as well. And I think in that particular instance. Kerry with a fitter team on the, sorry, on, the, on the nice and worryingly for maybe other everybody else Jim Gavin said afterwards that this is going to bring Dublin on a ton and I think he meant I think he meant probably mentally as much as physically like because Dublin no matter what you say about them don't like to lose and that's one of the reasons why they had the, the bit of the uh, the bit of the afters um, it will, they've got a week off now Dublin sorry two weeks off before they play Mayo um, Everyone's going to go look and see who Vincent's are playing anyway, yeah. Sarah <laughs> McConnelly. Yeah. And that, before I get to that, I yeah. do want to ask you about uh, Mr. Walsh coming back in for Kerry. Uh, like, what was he like? Because that is, now that Donahue's gone, what Tommy Walsh does for Kerry. Yeah. Is he the same Tommy Walsh we saw years ago? Or? You think he's actually, he's actually, I thought he'd slimmed down a bit. He looks like a fitter version of Tommy Walsh. He looks a bit more mobile. And yeah, he's been away for at least two or three years now um, definitely an addition to have him back in there because they need and he was one of those steady steady heads in the last few minutes David Morn as well who set up the winner and uh, Jack Sherwood is back in full back he was off the panel as well for, for a year or two so in fairness to Peter Keane he's he's you know, when a new manager comes in, sometimes there's the, there's the fear he's going to like, well, this is all about my crop of young players, and this is I'm going to do it my way. But he's, he seems to have said, look, everyone is everyone is um, is on board, and I think Kerry need that, like that, you know, because it's 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 you know, for, for all the young talent in there, like you do need a few steady heads. And I think Tommy Walsh, for whatever reason, just it just didn't happen to him when that second coming when he came back from Australia. So he looked broken, didn't he? But that which was a real shame because he he was. 
he was decimated by injuries. Was it hamstring problems over yeah, there? Yeah, he His did. His AFL a career just never really got Really bad never hamstring tear and then he tried to come back and I think he wasn't getting any game time and he just got fed up and walked away, which is perfectly understandable. Um, but anyway, he's back on board and it goes back to my point about everyone's kind of looking forward to the league, sort of championship and where, you know, where they're going to be in four or five months' time. But in, in the here and now, in the here and now, which is what I really put, really, <laughs> it's all we have, um, I thought Kerry were very impressive. I thought they were, I thought they're, they, they definitely were, I think they're ahead of where most people kind of thought they would be, including Peter Keane. And Clifford's still to come. Actually, will you talk to us about Peter Keane? Because people don't know him unless you've been tracking minor football in the last few years. Um, there's the pure Kerry cutorism about him, isn't yeah, there? But yeah, yeah. If, what look, do you know about him? Uh, it was, same age as me. Um, really? Very successful. Wow, you look younger. Very <laughs> successful businessman. Um, very successful businessman in terms of, you know, I know that's kind of the cliche, but he has a life outside of football, so it's not just... What's his business? It's Clorgan. He has a supermarket, but he kind of started out and he's expanded at and I think he's got a few other businesses in, in Clorgan. So he's, you know, he's not just one of these people who just lives, breeds, eat footballs. So I think anybody's kind of got that business acumen. It's kind of a... Well, it's, it helps. Um, but yeah, you're right. He's, he's, I think one of the questions afterwards, he was put to him about, well, what is, is the significance in beating... Dublin this time of the year and he said well I, I, look, I was looking in my garden the other day and I saw flowers in bloom and he said well it's not summer yet is it so <laughs> you know that kind of Kerry riddles um, but I like him the players the players seem to like him as well I know that's another cliche but the players will play for him um, this guy Darren Moynan I hadn't heard much about him he was no he was, relation is he no no relation um, to, 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 to Seamus revelation well he may be a cousin or something I may, I may have to correct myself on that but um um, who else? Brian Begley in defence, and then there's a few other Dermot O'Connor. Like there's new players in there, the, the classic sort of mix. So any dubs that are going to break into the team? Going, going looking at Dublin, yeah. Look, I mean, you mentioned. I mean, look, Dublin. It looks strong. It's a strong lineup. I mean, for Dublin, I mean, look, look at the players who want there. Okay, Kieran Kilkenny obviously has to come back. Keane O'Sullivan, he was there. I'm not sure what his what his exact um, situation is, but but Dublin will come on a ton after this. There's, there's no doubt about that. And um, you talk about managers. I mean. Jim Gavin was a bit touchy after the game. Yeah, we're going to get reasons. to this. And Dermot Connolly and the Jason Sherlock story, me and Mary were talking about this beforehand. And there was just two elements to this. A story which is no longer exists has been taken down by the mirror was up about how Sherlock was no longer part of the, the back room and how Dermot Connolly is working with Brian Cullen uh, a strength and conditioning. And so he's inching his way back into the panel. And both of these things now, according to Dublin, who didn't uh, get involved in the story when it was, before it had been published, uh, we believe they were contacted. It's been denied. And so it's wrong. And it was quite interesting when the story broke I saw a lot of media outlets got in on it and I see this a lot in the Irish media where somebody has an exclusive and everyone goes well it must be true because he published it and they jump in on the bandwagon and they publish it as if it's their story as well and it kind of came back and bit a lot of people on the arse I thought in the last few days because it wasn't true and James and Sherlock got off the bus the other thing is the element of and Mary you were talking about this is there is a, a it's an amateur sport and all this we know this but there was a, there's a secrecy element to the Dublin Amazing. team which kind of yeah. was why the story also grew legs granted it was wrong and it was it was I don't want to say poor journalism, but it, you know, when you're wrong, you're wrong here, and it appears that they were. I think for people not kind of involved and in, you know working in GA as you two are, it, it just really kind of highlighted the fact that it, like getting information out of Dublin, it just seems to be it's not possible. Something as simple as is Sherlock still involved in the in the staff, or or is is Connolly back? Yes, no, and that couldn't even be found out. The Sherlock thing could have been nipped in the bud, but the Connolly thing has been rolling on for an awfully long time and we, nobody knows all we know is he played for Vincent's against Bowden on the weekend so he's back playing and Yeah I think there's two issues here I mean number one and I'm conscious of the fact there's, there's nothing to 
dare I say, general water public hate worse media giving out about media, <laughs> you know. But Mary, you're right. I think that the situation with Dublin, and, my, and I can only speak from my own experience here, for the, for the largest, obviously, county in the, in, in the country, with the mo- you know, the most successful football team in the country by some distance, their PR machine is very slow, very difficult to deal with, very slow to react. On purpose. Perhaps they, they, when, it, when it suits, they know them, what they're doing. It's, like, you know? it's, it's on purpose most of the time. But why? Why wasn't in their interest to, to stop this story? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Gavin; it was all over the place on Friday morning. So there was a twenty. Let's give Jim, let, let's just read Jim Gavin's quote when he was when it was put to him. He goes, "Why journalists, uh, or how they report on conjecture and rumor? That's your profession, not mine." Um, and then he goes, when asked about Jay, he goes, not in the, not in the slightest. He's as much involved in the back room as I've always been. And then on Connolly, he said, well, I, when he was asked about him working with Brian Cullen, he goes, well, I can confirm that that's certainly not the case. Absolutely not. Yeah, you know, and if, if, if doesn't bode well for Connolly, it doesn't know. But I think the part, and then he doesn't elaborate. You see, yeah, you know, the Connolly thing. I think the Connolly thing was going to is going to run, and we we accept the fact that nobody really knows to know what's exactly going on between Dermot Connolly and Jim Gavin, except Dermot Connolly and Jim yeah. Gavin. I mean, there's been so many rumours about that that I wouldn't even. I wouldn't well, the Sen and Connells of this world and the Kieran Whelans who pop up and uh, who are popping up on TV, they seem to kind of imply that they know something. You know what I mean? It's the whole Omerta. Yeah, but it's just going back to your point, Mary. Why Dublin? I mean, I know for a fact that there was contact made, contact made with the Dublin County Board. Dublin have a PR manager. Mm-hmm. They did. They, were, they either either declined or made themselves unavailable for whatever reason. But if you leave messages with some to, to a journalist, you'd, you'd expect, as a matter of courtesy, you might get back to them before. Yeah. There was at least what so that we're talking Friday morning. It's, you're talking 36 hours before Jason Sherlock magically appears and by that point the whole country had I think the public no, all they public uh, care about is the story wasn't true yeah yeah but I think it's it's unfortunate it's damaging to Jason Sherlock it is and then there yeah, was mention should have denied it I yes, think there was some mention of, of, the, of his documentary over Christmas having something to do with it which yeah, I found it? totally bizarre yeah. Like, I, and, and, and that was put to Jim Gavin that's when, that's when I kind of thought look this is ridiculous like I don't think I don't know where that came from or why why a Jason Sherlock documentary on his life story was so, had somehow resulted in him being leaving the Dublin mm. Selection, but anyway, look, which was a wonderful documentary, by the way. Yeah, and really he, good insight into jail himself. You can understand them maybe being cagey about Connolly, whether he's coming back or not. Yeah, something's like, not right there. Yeah, but the, the Sherlock things just he's you know, is he still part of the staff or not? Just like, yeah. what is the big deal about clarifying that if, if, if somebody asks? Yes, so, yeah. like, in a sense, yeah, the story was wrong, but they kind of bring this on themselves too by just not given a bloody simple answer that's, to a yeah. simple question. If, that's, if as you say, that's that's the way they want to do business and that's deliberate, fine. But then don't turn around and say, well, you know, don't try to as if say, well, try to be smart about it and say, well, we can't tell you how to do your job. I think most of the journalists did their job on Friday in trying to confirm that story. Um, mm-hmm. Some people confirmed it anyway <laughs> by, 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 by instinct or whatever. Um, well, that doesn't wash. No, no, no. And, and as you say, Gav, the danger is here. I mean, we've all been victims of this. We've all been both victims and sort of purveyors of it whereby we put a story out, which may or may not be true, because we, we think you know we think we have a good source, and somebody else goes with that story. Suddenly, it snowballs, and you know that's a problem. That, that is a problem. Which and the, one of the reasons that's a problem is because the whole media landscape has changed now. And, you it's know, trigger you, happy. You don't People don't want to miss out, on they, they want their clicks. You know, yeah, and We're you're all guilty of it. So, um, and I think there's there was, if, I don't know if, if I don't know if lesson is the word, but it was certainly a reminder of the of some of the perils that we that that that, that come with the job now and. Uh, Look, it's 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 over now, but I mean, unfortunately, it's not the last time it's going to happen. Mayo will love this. We're not even talking about them at all. But do Dublin need Connolly? Do you think he'll come back? I think they do. I really think. Why they do you do. think? They, why do they need him? 
because I just because think, of what Mayo like, did to them two years the, ago in the final. Going to win the five in a row, unless okay, I'm, I'm kind of contradicting myself here because on one, on one hand I'm saying we're constantly looking into the future, and here I am looking at the five in a row. But of course, it's going to be the biggest story of the, of the, of the sporting year mm. if Dublin pull this off. It's never happened at any se- at senior level, football or hurling. Kerry obviously failed. Kilkenny failed. So this this is this is history. And we talk. What's what's that word we we, we like to use as well? Um, immortality. <laughs> oh, immortality beckons. I love that one. But immortality beckons for this Dublin team. And no pressure. If they are going to do, John O'Brien was asked that question on the Lions tour. That's where that came yeah, from. Yeah. From our friends in Sky Sports. Um, but it is. It's 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 it's. But it's, it's the, that is the reality of this of this scenario for Dublin. And I just think they're they, you know if they are going to do it, they cannot have any regrets or anything to kind of like say well what ifs the what ifs and one of the what ifs if Dublin don't pull this off I think will be will be Connolly so unless there's a irretrievable situation with Dermot Connolly I, th- I think yeah I think Dublin will need him What would he bring that yeah, I mean it's hard to look at Dublin and think they lack anything Yeah know? true but what, what would he bring to, to this team Well go back to Saturday night's game that, that sort of four or five minute window where the game is Everything up in the air. They were level going into injury time. Just five minutes to play. Kerry looked like they were spooked. And um, Dublin had a few chances. They had one great chance to win it with Brian Fenton. He just hit, hit it ball just wide. That's where Connolly comes into his own. He's got that. He's got that sixth sense. He'll just pick out a player who nobody else might see, and suddenly Dublin have a winner. Um, now again, they're missing players. Like I mean, Stephen Cluxon wasn't there on Saturday night. I mean, he is. He is there. 16th, 17th man in terms of what he brings to the team. Evan Comerford again. He's he's look. He's finding his feet, but he he you know he made a few he made a few uh, unforced errors, let's say. Um, but yeah, Dublin. I mean, again, it's it's kind of ominous when Jim Gavin says that that game would bring Dublin on a ton, which 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 is I think will will, will show possibly in the next round against Mayo. But um, but I thought Kerry came on a ton as well. Mm. Oh, as Malky Clerken would say, uh, this story will rumble on. Yes, we and we won't be involved, Mary. <laughs> um, look, thanks to everyone for coming in today. Thanks for John. Thanks for Emmett. Thanks to you, Ian, for uh, coming all the way back from Kerry. Um, that's it, I suppose, Mary. Yeah. yeah. Thanks yeah. for you for coming in too. So you be you're holding on to that chair now, are nah, you? No, nah, no, we're yeah. done. We're done. <laughs> we're I'd done. Say. Okay. Back to just back to just reporting. This was the Out of Time podcast. Thanks a million. <laughs>